With the 14th pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the Boston Celtics select Romeo Langford, Grant Williams, Carson Edwards, Tremont Waters, Vincent Poirier, Javante Green, Robert Williams III, Jimmy Ogilvy, right, Brad Wanamaker, Daniel Tice, Dennis Cantor, Taco Fall, Marcus Smart, Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, from the University of Connecticut. And we are back with another episode of From the Rafters. This time, uh, a little sad, but that's okay. Sam and I are here with uh, another great guest. We have John Corrales from Mass Live. How are you doing today, John? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, as good as better. I can. Yeah. <laughs> that was the worst pretty good I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. <laughs> oh, pretty good. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's not great, but before we get into all the, the depressing talk, uh, we'd like to open with uh, a, a little question outside of basketball to uh, start the show. So our question for you t- today is, what's the most recent stupid purchase you've made? Just something that you look back and you're like, you know what, I definitely shouldn't have bought that, but hey, it is what it is. Um. Okay. Uh, I mean, most recent stupid purchase. God. Mm. Um. I don't know. It was probably a, a pair of sneakers that I didn't need. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think. I my problem is I've bought so much recently because it just moved. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh wow. I'm like, um, uh, yeah. So it's I I probably don't need a lot of things, but I, I'm probably gonna go with a pair. Of, I've got like I'm staring at a closet full. I got like sixty pairs of sneakers. So. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm sure there's a pair or two in there that I was like, okay, that was probably a, a bit much. So I'll mm-hmm. go with that. Yeah, I got you. I would say mine, I'm trying to think, I bought 2K, uh, the video game, and that's awful. <laughs> so I kind of regret that. But other that than that, I would my, say, my yeah, yeah, I bought um, a I've bunch been, of basketball cards. I've been doing cards. a good job. I've been a good little saver. Yeah. yeah. Don't brag too much, Sam. Is that your answer, Sam? Or are you going to say 2K? I was gonna say 2K. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's tough. I mean, I am the looking to just... blow some money on the new game systems, though. Of course, is it bad? So, is if it I could ever pre-order game? them, it's just the same game as last year, John. It's the same thing. <laughs> right. So, right. Okay. One so of the appeals the of buying the new 2K is usually the roster update, but like yeah. seeing how the season's going on right now, there's literally nothing. Mm-hmm. So right. So it's been a while since I've had a game console. So like yeah. I've I've kind of kind of grown out of that a, a little bit, but I always used to wait like a couple of years. I'd, I'd get one and then not buy like the next next one. I'd wait for like two three years and get then then update because it always mm-hmm. had a tendency to kind of be very similar. Except like there were a couple leaps that it made. You're like, oh okay, I gotta have this one. But I mean, but you're talking you, consoles, consoles. That you're talking about like the new Xbox versus the Xbox One. No, I'm talking about like the new the game itself okay yeah, yeah. Like for the console yeah like i um so i don't know like and now you, you plug in you can get the roster updates online anyway right so it doesn't Mm-mm. they they glitch the game they don't have roster updates because their servers are terrible so they just don't really care they're just kind of like oh yeah we'll get it up whenever and they don't even have the draft class either like they don't oh, have yeah. a oh, which is really don't. weird that's yeah. how out of the loop i am yeah and so the thing that pisses me off the most is for things like my league, when you want to like rebuild a team, which for me is one of the main appeals, like I want to take over the Celtics or take over just a, a terrible team and make them good again. That's what I find fun. You go into it 
And contracts that are expired, like Fred Van Vliet, obviously, for example, he's going to be a free agent and he can sign anywhere. There's rumors he's going to get a big contract. All they did was they extended him one year on the Raptors for the same amount of money he made last year. And then they just did that for everybody. So the free agencies are all messed up. The teams are all the exact same. All the contracts are just made up by 2K to extend them one year. So it, it just doesn't make any sense. No. No, I always just like to just create myself. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd never even bothered with the, the current things. I would create myself and try to get, you know, go through the steps to make yourself good and then become a superstar. That's, yeah. isn't that, isn't that what a video game is for? Yeah. Like, it's yeah. a fantasy. So, like, why not throw yourself into the fantasy and average 50 points a game for, yeah. you know, a championship? Team? <laughs> Come on. That's what I've been doing, too. Sam, how's your my career going? You know, you play too. Uh, yeah, I haven't been playing a whole lot because I've been mm-hmm. somewhat busy, but. Yeah, it's getting you. there. It's it's hard this year. The way they made the game is difficult. Yes, yeah. It's just I, I find they they only care about the modes where you spend money. So yeah, another it, thing, John, yeah. you have to spend money. Yeah, to be good to like yeah, buy that, points to upgrade your player. No, that to... that I'm out. I'm out on that. I'm out. Yeah. On that. Like I aren't you spending? How much does the game cost now? Sixty bucks, seventy bucks, so sixty dollars, sixty. Yeah, and so I've spent hundreds however many hundreds of dollars on the console 60 bucks on the game and i gotta spend more money on that on top of that like no nah, i'm out give yeah. me like i'll buy i'll buy the old console and give me like you know three generations ago and get me that old game i'll just create myself in that that was fine mm-hmm. yeah then you can't play online because they take the servers down for the old game so you can't play with your friends yeah. yeah yeah that's this is me i'm old like, <laughs> you gotta understand i'm in my 40s here so like i don't like that play with your friends online like i I don't care about that either, <laughs> either your friends come over and you play against each other or you're just playing by yourself like that's okay i don't know that's no, that's I how you. i used to do it that's my back yeah. in my day we used to play video <laughs> games uphill in the snow barefoot <laughs> oh, man. uphill in the snow barefoot and then they got these things too they have all these brands in 2k so they have like palm angels the expensive they have like bape and all these up and coming like hype beast brands where you have to pay for clothing to put on your guy so you end up spending like five or ten real dollars to put a, a virtual sweatshirt on your player and it's just oh, it's it's absurd at that point so that that is just ridiculous. <laughs> you would be absolutely baffled with some of the yeah. things in the game it's that you crazy. can spend your money I'm, on really would i really would like this is just insane one of the things i'm thinking of you can grind so you you play a lot and you like gain levels in the in the park the park is basically like you go in you play with a bunch of people online in like 3v3 blacktop and you can get enough levels in that it takes like months a long time you can buy a mascot costume to wear but the mascot costume is like 50 or 20 real dollars to buy (laughs) what yeah yeah, 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 it's like excessive. It's ridiculous. It's like a hundred thousand virtual currency or something like that, right, Sam? Which is like fifty actually. It's one hundred fifty thousand, which okay, is so like more over fifty dollars. Yeah, yeah, so maybe. There's, there's no incentive for two K to improve the game because they're already making yeah. tons of money. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's the the world this is now. So, <laughs> man, what a mess. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would say that's my dumb purchase, uh, spending any money on that game. Uh, to bring it back around to where we yeah. started, to bring it to why we're here. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, we can get into some more uh, sad talk, I suppose, talking about the Celtics. But uh, my first question to you, John, is how are you feeling after the first half? Just just after the first half. Well, I mean, I, I knew it was coming. I yeah. knew it was coming. You could check my Twitter. I said, look, this is exactly where the Celtics were 
against the Raptors. Not only, I mean, like, uh, what what game was it? Uh, was it game five, game six? Where like they they had a seventeen point lead in this game, and just before the half, they gave up a couple of baskets and and didn't score for two and a half minutes. So it was it was right there again. They're up seventeen with two and a half minutes to go in the first half and an opportunity to really send Miami into the half on a low note. They Instead, they can't find a way to score. Miami gets a couple of buckets, and they go into the half down 13, which is a much, much better feeling than it would be. Uh, though this is game three. This is game three against Toronto, same type of thing. And and so you come out of the half and it's they're just floating along and, and you could see it coming. You knew something was going to happen. And when they had that when they had that jump ball versus the 24 second violation, like I, and when I tweeted out that this is a critical turning point, you knew that that was going to be where things fell apart. It's, it's formulaic at this point. And the Celtics have had a problem with holding on to leads generally during the course of the season, but it's gotten worse. I, I think there's a, a certain level of fatigue, a mental fatigue that they're dealing with here. They just cannot pull out of a tailspin anymore. Uh, so in the first half, they looked good in the first half, but I knew that this is a 48-minute game. And until I saw them get through that third quarter, I wasn't going to buy into that level of success. I, I knew something was coming, and it did. I tweeted out, I am desperately trying not to get excited right now because I, I felt the same way. And uh, throughout your entire just like spiel there, I was trying, again, to figure out something positive I could say, but I don't really – I got nothing. <laughs> Sam, Sam what, do you, what do you think, man? Yeah, I mean, it's really tough because these are two games that Sully's down now 0-2, and they really could be up 2-0 in a convincing fashion. Not only up 2-0, but they could have blown Miami out both times. Sure. And I mean, look, they yeah, go ahead. Now they're in a hole trying to dig themselves out. And I personally still really think they should be able to do it. Now we'll see if they actually do. But, I mean, there's definitely a chance that they do. I don't know. I, I don't feel like the series is over in the slightest. But they need to figure some stuff out. Yeah, I know. The series is not over. I mean, 2-0 is bad, but it's not like – you you're winning two games in a row is that's, that's, um, that's doable. Uh, it's, it's very easy to get back into this. You, you know, you win, just go out there and in game three and, and I'm speaking theoretically now, correct some mistakes. You can win game three and then game four goes either way. And, and then becomes a three game series. And that that's, you know, it's hard to beat a team four times in a row and it's hard to beat a team, you know, four times out of, uh, out of five or, or whatever, but like it, it's still, it's still possible. It's still, they're, they're still within striking distance. Obviously game three becomes supremely important, but you know, you go back to Miami has never had a comfortable lead in either of these two games. I've never watched at any point in these two games and thought, wow, Miami's boy, they're in total control other than in the third quarter when the Celtics just, fell apart and some of that is Miami's doing but it's I feel like a lot of it is self-inflicted and it's been self-inflicted the Celtics exactly. have more talent the Celtics have the ability the Celtics have shown they can get they they know how to do it they just 
a lot of times they stop doing it. And what really what happens, the worst part about this is, okay, Miami's good. And we know that Miami's going to make a run because it's the Eastern Conference Finals. And the team that you're playing is going to make a run. They always do. You're, it's, it's not going to be a sweep and, and four blowouts. But what the Celtics do is they let that Miami run get out of control. And they don't, they don't find ways to stem the tide. They don't string two or three buckets together. Instead of 11-0, it could be 11-5. And, you know, that five points makes a big difference because it becomes at least like, all right, they shaved six points off of the lead, but they didn't completely retake the lead and send you into a tailspin. So that's where the Celtics have really got to get themselves together. It's not just, oh, go from 17 to 24. Like they, they need to, when it's 17 and Miami makes a run, instead of Miami making a run and cutting it down to five, they need to have Miami make a run and cut it down to like 12. And then you can stabilize, get a couple of stops, and then you get it back up to 17 by the end of the quarter. And you're like, okay, we survived. And so instead of, instead of losing the third quarter by 20, maybe you lose the third quarter by you know, five, and you're like, all right, let's, we, we made it. It's okay. Fourth quarter, we start off well, like they did in, in game two. And you build that team, that lead back up. And it's like, all right, well, then you start, then Miami starts to play tight. So that's, that, that's the biggest thing. They, they just, when adversity hits, they fall apart. They're not, they're not like stemming any tides. Yeah. Like both of you said, the series isn't over. Like Denver just did it against a much better team in the Clippers than I would argue the Heat are. It's just like you were saying, John, the Celtics don't have any damage control. They just kind of play in panic mode and then end up turning the ball over, which is what I wanted to talk about next. Like they just they're throwing it away out there like they're not handling the ball. And whenever Miami goes on a run and starts playing zone defense or even just more aggressive defense Jason Tatum ends up throwing the ball away or Kemba ends up throwing it away or the the turnovers just get way out of hand that that's what I wanted to ask you next John what what can they do about the turnovers which were absurd in game two well I I think it it comes down to a a lot of it is the the standing around like if you watch the beginning of the game they move guys are moving they're catching the ball on the move they're 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 not standing around when, when Kemba throws the ball, he's trying to get the ball to Jason Tatum and Jimmy Butler pokes it away and gets a steal. Tatum isn't moving. Tatum is stationary. Kemba gets too deep. He's, and and the angle that he's trying to throw it to Tatum at is, is poor. As opposed to Tatum moving and setting a pick for someone else to come up and get the ball or Kemba or, or, or Tatum starting somewhere else and having a pick set for him and him coming up to get the ball. Like the Celtics need to be moving. And this is why I think fatigue plays a lot into this, whether it's physical fatigue or mental fatigue, there's a lot of standing around. Not just when one guy has a ball and he wants to dribble and he goes, to you know goes one-on-one there's a lot of standing around where like i'm gonna stand here and let just pass me the ball and if you're if you're not coming to the ball if you're not coming off of a screen if you're not moving the the defender can kind of like anticipate that and and yeah of course it's gonna poke it away and if 
you're not moving and a guy throws it to a spot where you should be and you you're going to throw it away like there there's just it's almost like they forget how to play basketball and they're smart players i don't know why they do it other than i think that there's a a mental there there's a mental fatigue that they're suffering because i can't i can't come up with any other explanation i really can't there's there's just they look like something else is on their minds something else is occupying their brains or they're just not thinking and and they go through these lapses and that's why you can't pull out of those tailspins so somehow they need to i don't know they need to pull like a a phil jackson kind of you know zen master i don't know give them a book to read give them a video have a watch make a team movie night do something where they can clear their heads because i i think that at this point it's almost like the bubble is getting the best of them they need to go hit the no. golf course <laughs> do you think that might be why they don't have practice today yeah i mean i think i think this was kind of expected like part of it they're they're in film it's not like they're not doing anything they're okay. in film well, they're good. yeah there's <laughs> they they don't have a full formal practice but they're they're going through a film session they're going through team meetings they're they're probably on the court going through an optional shoot around quote unquote optional shoot around um but there's no formal um practice and and honestly i think it's kind of categorized that way so they don't they don't have to talk to the media because the after what happened in the locker room last night, the guys talked. Um, we didn't hear from Marcus Smart, and it's probably best for Marcus that he doesn't talk right now. Uh, as much as I, a member of the media, would love to talk to Marcus Smart and get his side of the story, um, it, it's probably, in the team's mind, best that we let this play itself out and... By the time we talk to the players again, it'll be after game three. And if the Celtics win game three and win comfortably, then that stuff kind of goes away. And even if he, even if Marcus Smart does talk after that game and someone asks, he can say, ah, you know, it's water under the bridge. It's done. We recovered. Look, we had a great game. It's part of it. Blah, blah, blah. Done. So that, I think, is what the Celtics are hoping for as well. Okay. Have you heard, being like a member, you know, you, you have access to the Zoom meetings and things like that. What what's the vibe you got from the pressers last night? I mean, we we get quotes on Twitter and stuff, but you actually get to kind of be a part of that. Um, you know, how do you think they're feeling? You think there's going to be a fire under them after that argument, or you think it's more of a discouraging thing? I was going to ask if it's more like last year. That's what I was going to bring up. No, you know what? I I see people tweeting like, oh, see, Kyrie wasn't the problem. Like, all right, well, Kyrie wasn't the only problem, but this is not last year at all. Like. And and this is where I think social media drives me crazy a little bit as, as much of a Twitter addict as I, as I am. Um, people throw these things out there without any context whatsoever. We're talking about a team that's in game two of the Eastern conference finals versus a team that flamed out in the second round last year um, and had problems throughout the year. This team has been, like, what's one of the hallmarks of this team? How many times have we 
talked about, how many stories have I written, how many stories have you guys read about this team chemistry, how much they like each other. They, they do like each other. Um, and I think part of that chemistry is why they've gotten this far. Um, yeah, I agree. You know, so I think part of everything, I really think that being in the bubble for this long, we're talking about like 75 days at this point. I think the, the level of frustration is amplified. Having it happen again like this is amplified. And arguments like this happen in locker rooms. I think part of it is also reporters aren't usually outside locker rooms directly after a game like that. And locker rooms there are open. Those are fake walls built for these teams that are open. There's no ceiling on them. So what you hear what you hear, and it resonates throughout the bubble. So just like when Denver beat the um, the Clippers the other day, I read a story. It was like you could hear throughout the entire arena the Nuggets celebrating because of the way the, the locker room is constructed. So I think reporters who are there heard more than they would usually hear. And obviously they reported it as they should. I think stuff like this happens in locker rooms more than people really want to admit. And the game, you heard them talking about it. Like Kemba was like, nah, nothing happened. And Tatum didn't want to talk about it. And everybody was just kind of like blowing it off. Jalen Brown had a couple of things to say, but you know, not much. It's, Mostly I, positives, to yeah, be honest. I, I mean, just just from what I know from having played, uh, you know, at somewhat of a level, um, I, I think that this is that that kind of stuff is kind of normal in in those situations. I'm actually, I said it on my podcast. Um, I'm kind of happy that at least that we got some fire that we know that these guys care. Yeah, uh, no, I agree I, with you. That's kind of where I was going with it. Yeah, like I'd rather hear this type of story than have them just kind of casually walk out and laughing and be like, oh, all right, well, I guess they're okay with this. Um, Marcus Smart really, really cares about winning. Jalen Brown really, really cares about winning. All of those guys really, really care about winning. That's going to happen in locker rooms. Guys are going to yell at each other. Things are going to be said. I'm I'm a hundred percent confident that at some point after that game, after everybody went home or back to their hotels, I wouldn't be surprised if Marcus and Jalen were hanging out in their hotel room, like afterwards and, and getting over it. Like that's, that's what team that, that happens on teams. So uh, I feel like if you've never been on a team, you see that and it sounds like doom and gloom, but, Having right. been on one, I feel like, you know, I mean, it's not great. You don't want like people yelling at each other, but it's not, it's not bad either. Yeah. I think, I think it's yeah. really good. Like you mentioned the fire, um, you know, to know that they aren't content with the way they're playing uh, as they shouldn't be uh, like, that's not a hot take, but like, I mean, they know that they can be better. You know, that's why they're upset. I don't think it's because it's jealousy or anything else. Um, I really think they just want to win and they know they should be winning as I think that's why everyone on Twitter is so upset is because we as fans all feel like they should be winning these games. And, you know, if you're up 17, you shouldn't lose. And this Miami team is not a team that you should be getting 
beaten 2-0 by. I mean, they're not a bad team by any sorts, but I mean, Toronto was a tougher matchup, in my opinion, for them. I mean, the defensive grit they had. This series should not be as difficult as the last one. They're making it hard on themselves for just about no reason. Yeah, I mean, look, this is this is uh, kind of a test for them, right? Like, we'll see. We'll see what they have. We'll see what they have. I, I've I've talked about this being kind of unfair in a bit. Like, uh, I wrote a piece the other day about. Um, how they need to find something within themselves and that it might be a little unfair or a lot unfair to ask to, to out of one side of my mouth, say the bubble is difficult, but out of the other say, got to find something. But like, this is, if you want to win a championship, this is, this is what you've got to find. You've got to find something. You've got to overcome this. Miami's overcoming it. They've been there just as long as Boston has. Um, other teams are overcoming it. They've been there just as long as Boston has. This is a this is their test. Um, can they find it within themselves to get past these things, to get past these mental hurdles? Um, they're a young team, also. Like this is this is hard for twenty two and twenty three year olds to kind of do. Like that's one thing about like Jimmy Butler is like he's he's got this attitude of like you know eff it like whatever, and and he's hardened. And these guys have been in the in the playoffs for a little while, but you know they don't have that same level of you know screw you. I'm just gonna get what I'm gonna go make the play. Uh, so like we'll see, we'll see in game three. Did did they do they have something in them that that allows them to get past this? And now a quick word from our sponsor. Go ahead, Jack, because uh, you haven't gotten a word in a little while. Yeah, I was just thinking, Jimmy Butler is just like a different breed, man. Like, the way he grew up and him, his whole backstory, if you haven't heard about it, uh, look it up. It's insane what happened. He was, I'm pretty sure, I don't want to misquote it, but he was like kicked out of his house when, at a young age and then went to a, a bad school, then got recruited by Marquette and then went there. And his whole life is just crazy. So I have to imagine that has some sort of impact on his mental state. But if you watch interviews with him, like I watched him on the JJ Reddick podcast and all these interviews with like GQ and everything on YouTube. He's like a great dude. Like when you look at him in, uh, uh, from that point of view, but I-, I can imagine on the court, he's just a killer. Like he, he, there's nothing that's going to get in between him and winning that basketball game. And it, it's that mentality that I think puts him, like you said, a step ahead of these young guys like Tatum 22, uh, Brown 23. And then I wanted to bring up the fact that he said, I'm not inviting any guests to the bubble because this is a business trip. Do you think that, like, obviously that's a part of his whole mentality of, of about, like, I'm just going to win this game. Like, I don't care about anything else about winning. Do you think the fact that he literally, like, quite literally has no distractions down there, that he can just focus in basketball is most likely the only thing on his mind. Do you think that's going or is giving him a leg up in these playoffs? Um, You know, I, I, it's one of those things that he's, they're having some success. And so we're, we're associating one thing with him to that success. I don't know that that's a direct correlation um, because he, like, I get it. And, and, you know, Hey, there's the possibility that having some 
family in the bubble can be a distraction, but at the same time, what are we talking about? Like, this is there's 24 hours in a day. You're asleep theoretically for eight, so you've got 16 left. How many of those 16 hours are going to be spent on basketball, and how many are going to be spent like living your normal life? Um, and if you're saying all 16 have to be spent on basketball, then you're going to be a terrible basketball person because you need the balance. So whatever Jimmy Butler is doing, if he if he is spending that 16 hours on basketball and that's all and it works for him, well, well then great. Then he's an exception. Uh, I think having family in the bubble is 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 fine for a lot of guys. I mean, they haven't seen their families in almost three months. So like, I'm not going to say that someone had like Tatum having Deuce around is going to be like a problem. Like that's not why he is suddenly isolating so much and foul hunting. Like that's, that would be silly. Um, I think, I think Jimmy Butler is as much marketing as he is intensity. Like the whole Miami heat culture thing has become such a, uh, an entity on its own that the marketing of that heat culture is, is as big as what the actual heat culture means. You know, does that make sense? Like, yeah. The, yeah. The, yes. the, right. The Miami heat, but when we talk about heat culture in a non-annoying way, it's, it is important. Like they, they, from Pat Riley, who has a certain level of discipline set for the players and that he brings in to Eric Spolstra, who's a phenomenal coach and carries, carries that, that torch because he's come up through the heat organization and he knows what Pat Riley wants and he agrees with it and he, he works well with it. And the types of players that they get, of course, they're getting a ton out of Bam out of bio and Duncan Robinson and Tyler hero and, Jimmy Butler fits in perfectly with them. Like there's a reason why all of that happens. And yeah, heat culture is definitely a thing, but now it's so many stories. Now that we've gotten to the Eastern conference finals, everybody wants to do a story on heat culture, quote unquote. And <laughs> so these things get thrown into the legend. That's when you say winners get to write history. Like that's, this is it right here. Like everybody is benefiting. So heat culture has become a phenomenon. And, and that's why their hashtag is heat culture. And I'm sure they're putting heat culture on shirts and selling them for 40 bucks a pop and making a ton of money off of them. Like that's, that's all part of the marketing too. So like, yeah, Jimmy Butler is intense and he's, he's had a lot of things that have hardened him. A lot of, a lot of players everywhere have that. Um, more importantly, he's, a, he's the right fit for that team. He's got the right people around him. He respects the people around him and, you know, from, from the front office down to the last guy on the bench. And that's why he's not being disruptive like he was in Philadelphia and in Minnesota. And that's why the Heat are succeeding. Yeah. And I wasn't trying to say that Jimmy Butler, like having family down there is obviously not a bad thing. I was just more uh, talking about Jimmy's mentality and how just impressive it has been, but. Um, overall, I kind of wanted to talk about some more specifics from game two. Uh, Before and... you go ahead, uh, yeah, 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 Woj ahead. just tweeted out, uh, Brad Stevens had a late night Thursday meeting with Celtics leaders Kemba, Tatum, Brown, and Marcus to work through emotions of post-game two locker room. A lot of yelling in the locker room, but nothing escalated to a physical confrontation. So 
it looks like they're working on sorting whatever happened out. And I mean, I personally think it was a good thing that they had a little bit of a mm-hmm. um, scuffle, cool. whatever they needed to do to get some fire under them, because they certainly need it. They have it for a half and then they lose it. Um, we've talked about it plenty. They, they've just got to be better. They're definitely capable of winning this series. And it's, it's really frustrating that they're down 0-2 just because I just feel like they are the better team and they should be going to the finals this year. Certainly. Look, I, I, I'm, my, my last thing on the locker room thing is, and I said it on my podcast, expressing your emotions is a good thing. And I, I always think it's a good thing. Outside of basketball, it's a good thing. It's much better and healthier to put it all out there and say what you got to say and then figure out how to deal with that. At least, at least, you know, and at least those things are out and you're free. Like bottling that stuff up inside is, is unhealthy. So just whatever happened in there, however it happened, like, okay. So they, they had that meeting afterwards. That's great. So it's exactly how I think it should go. You, you blow up, you have your emotions. If you said something that's out of bounds, you apologize because that's how it's supposed to go. Like you, I've done it myself plenty of times. Um, you work through it. You say, Hey, look, I'm sorry. I blew my top. Uh, I didn't mean to say it that way. Here's what I meant. Blah, blah, blah. You talk through these things and then it's over. These guys spend a lot of time together that that's going to happen. And Jalen Brown was right. It happens between families. You know, like every family's gone through an argument. Close friends have gone through arguments. Like this is this is kind of like in that same vein. I couldn't agree more. I like I'm trying to think through like personal experiences. I remember I didn't talk to one of my friends for like two months, and then you you literally just have to yell at each other. Like with my brother, even like we literally get into like boxing matches in the living room, and then 20 <laughs> minutes later we're fine. Like. You got to do that stuff. You can't just leave it bottled up, like you said. And I think last year with Kyrie, a lot of that is what happened. Like Kyrie would go say something to the media, and then the team would just end up kind of like half trying to ignore it, half trying to acknowledge it, but nothing was ever like flushed out. And I'm glad that Brad Stevens is taking the time this year to talk to all four of those guys and sort it out before it gets <clears throat> any worse than it possibly could. But uh, like I was saying before, before uh, Woj tweeted that out, I wanted to talk about kind of Kemba, Jason, Jalen, and Marcus, ironically, the four guys in the meeting, and how they played in game two. Uh, starting off with Jalen specifically, because I know there were some issues after game one even. Uh, a lot of people, including me, feel like Jalen isn't getting enough touches in games. Uh, he ends up just sitting in the corner. And then you could kind of see the frustration building at the end of game one and through game two. He was like clapping at Jason Tatum, like, hey, give me the ball, give me the ball, or like forcing his own shots. Like the only reason he got some of those looks last night or in game two, sorry, I feel like was because he got that tip in that offensive rebound and got a bucket. And then they started feeding him the ball and he was making his shots. Do you think that the Celtics need to game plan more to give Jalen Brown the ball, John? It's not even game plan more to like, it, it just execute their game plan. Like, I, I think the Celtics game plan naturally includes Jalen Brown getting touches. That's a read and react offense with, you know, certain set plays, obviously, but it's about getting that dribble penetration and collapsing a defense, kicking it out, attacking a second time, 
getting the ball out side to side. That's just what the Celtics are supposed to be doing. And so early on, when you see Jalen Brown getting baskets, getting, getting touches early, it's because Kemba has penetrated. He's gotten into the paint and defenses collapse, whether it's a zone or man, they're going to collapse. And Jalen Brown, his number one skill is operating in the space created by others. Like that's where he gets his points. That's how he averages 20 points a game. He's not going to create his own shot off the dribble very often. He can do it every once in a while, but that's not what he does. He's a catch and shoot guy. First and foremost, uh, all but 15 of his regular season three pointers were assisted. So he's not Jason Tatum creating off the bounce, sidestepping and taking shots. We all know that we watch the games. So the Celtics have to move the ball. Jalen Brown not getting touches is a symptom of stagnant offense. When Jalen Brown gets touches, that means the offense is working. When Jalen Brown doesn't get touches, that means guys are being greedy. They're being, they're isolating. They're not passing the ball. That it's as simple as that. Yeah. And we saw a lot of those ISO plays in game one and, a lot of it comes from what I call panic mode offense. Uh, I mentioned it earlier when the Heat get into these runs. I think the Celtics feel like they're getting down, so they need to make a big play happen fast. And it happens a lot in the fourth quarter, uh, specifically of game one. I saw it. it's just J- Jason Tatum or Kemba Walker taking the ball and saying, okay, I got to get a shot here. I got to get a shot here. Instead of moving the ball and running the offense like they had for the rest of the game when, you know, it was actually working. So it's just a matter of, like you said, moving the ball around and keeping the same offense that was working in the first half. Sam, what do you think about the whole Jalen Brown thing or just the offense in general becoming stagnant? It's really frustrating for sure, uh, for starters. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, Jalen Brown has been such a key piece to the playoff run, especially in the back end of the Toronto series after he had a terrible game four. You know, he really stepped it up and I don't know why he all of a sudden stopped. This series, they've just been playing different and you know, part of that has to be uh, credit to Miami's zone because it has been a difference maker when they put it on. But he's definitely a key to uh, breaking that zone. I mean, shooting is how you break the zone with ball movement, and they're not doing that. So that's definitely a problem. But going forward, I really just feel like the Celtics are going to figure out, especially going to game three after, you know, the, the whole blow up and everything. We saw it in the last series, right? The sky was falling after the OG shot, and then they really stunk it up in Game 4, probably played their worst game of the playoffs. Um, and then they came out in Game 5, one by 30. You know, I feel like this Celtics team has now kind of giving a, given us a little bit of an identity of, like, resilient. You know, they they play okay when the back their back is up against the wall, and it for sure is. Obviously, no team coming back from 3-0 down ever. Um this is a must-win game on Saturday. They've got they've got to figure it out, and I just have a feeling that they will. And should they figure it out, there is that big break between games that was announced yesterday. Um, you know, Saturday till Wednesday, give Gordon Hayward a little bit of extra time to get healthy if he doesn't play tomorrow, which he probably won't. So I don't know. There's just a lot on the line tomorrow on a couple of different levels. Yeah, I agree. John, do you think Gordon is going to play uh, in Game 3 since we brought it up? Um, you know, that's a good question. I think he's gotten close. I mean, obviously going from out to doubtful uh, in Game 2 is a 
is a step in the right direction. Uh, I'm sure today he's going through his his workouts and and we're going to find out actually today because they do have to report a day before whether he's uh, what what he is. Uh, so if he's still doubtful or if he's going to be upgraded to probable, um, we'll see. I I think I think he might go. I think he might go. I'm kind of like 60-40 on him playing in game three. Um, I'm really confident in him playing in game four. Uh, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if game three he gets like 20 minutes off the bench, you know, yeah. and, come, and comes in and gets like Brad Wanamaker's minutes or something like that um, just to get him just to get him kind of up to speed and see like th- they may they may say like we're, we're going to have him on a, a little bit of a minutes restriction. And if he comes out and he plays well and he, the, the ankle's feeling good or, you know, he's going to test it in warmups and see if he go if he can go. Um, but yeah, I, I, I know, I know he's going to play in one of these two games. Um, I, I'm, I'm leaning towards him playing game three. Do you think when he plays that he's going to be the huge difference that everyone is putting the pressure on him to be, you know, like that's been the talk of the town. I mean, Oh, when Hayward comes back, everything's going to be okay. I'm kind of on the fence because first of all, you're just coming off an injury and, you know, we've seen, especially with this team, there's so many different options to score, especially with Marcus really stepping it up over the last round or so, uh, you know, finding a place for him. How difficult do you think that's going to be for them? And is he going to be that huge difference maker? I, I think he is going to be, I don't know how huge a difference it's going to be, but we're talking about Gordon Hayward playing instead of like Shemi Ojale. So yeah, that's a huge difference. Um, we're talking about Gordon Hayward playing instead of like a lot of Brad Wanamaker. That's a huge difference. So it just his ability to get past a defender for his ability to see over the top of the defender. It's having a guy that's, you know, six, seven, come in who can handle the ball and pass the ball and is a former all-star <laughs> like that's that's a hell of a difference as compared to what the Celtics can normally bring off of the bench now is he going to t- take a five-point loss and turn it into a 20-point win I don't I don't know that that's going to happen but he's just extraordinarily better even even with a little bit of a limitation just his ability to dribble and trust him with the pass um, and trust him to shoot a a free throw jumper. Like, so I don't know what the overall score impact is going to be, but yeah, having Gordon Hayward is going to be a significant improvement over whatever else the Celtics have been throwing out there. No disrespect to those guys, but like Hayward is just a lot better than that. Of course. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, Wanamaker's had a great play. You know, me and Jack have talked about this. He's been pretty I was gonna solid. Say. That I was going to yeah. say. Totally. I mean, at look, least shooting-wise. Yeah. yeah. The yeah, vision's not, not always there, but. Right. Like, Wanamaker <laughs> can do a couple of things well in spots. Like, the, but he is who he is. And, you know, he's he's going to admit. Agreed. He'll admit to that, too. Like, he is who he is. Um, there's a reason why he's on the contract that he's on. And there's no guarantee. Like, he's he's barely been in the league. Like. Gordon Hayward is a former all-star and before the, before he got hurt was, was playing better basketball. He might've been the best player on the Celtics uh, over most of the seeding games. So he's, 
if he can get close to what he was giving the Celtics, if he can play like he was playing over the last, you know, six games of the seeding games, then then that's a, a gigantic difference. Yeah, I mean, he was one of, like you said, the best Celtics. Just you talked about it a lot. His ability to pass the ball, having Brad Wanamaker, Robert Williams slash Cantor, whoever you want to play, and Gordon Hayward is miles better than Wanamaker, a center, and semi Ojale. It's just you can't really replace that playmaking Hayward has. I would argue it's maybe the best on the team, maybe behind Smart, but Hayward's ability to move the ball is just irreplaceable. Shifting yeah. focus real quick, uh, a little before, bit if you don't before mind. Before we go, I have someone I want to yeah, ask. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Just, so, yeah, go ahead. John, how would you um, suggest the Celtics improve the pick-and-roll defense? Because That's what I was going to really... ask next. <laughs> oh, really? Perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, But yeah, I mean, obviously, Bam ate them alive, and the pick-and-roll really was the spark that started the run. Um, how how would you suggest that they fix that issue? Go smaller and switch. Um, okay. You just you, you can't you can't you can't drop against you know Goran Dragic. You, you have to you have to find a way to switch and stay in front of him and and still keep a body in front of Adebayo. Um, I think you go smaller. You put Grant Williams in there, and you switch and have Grant. You know he's he's the only guy that you can have. Unless unless you go small when Hayward is back, and and you switch that way, but you need somebody who's strong enough to keep out of bio off the the boards and and not be able to post up. So Grant kind of eliminates that that post up uh, to some degree. And hey, look, if Miami wants to post out of bio up, and and that's how they want to want to run their offense fine by me because that means their shooters aren't shooting but go smaller if grant switches on to Drogic, at least he's gonna slow him or, or keep him from going directly to the hoop have them work the ball back around and you know have the guard come back and, and just get into bam out of bio's way and you know if, if they're playing Drogic and out of bio pick and rolls you have smart on Drogic and and Grant on Adebayo, and if you switch, then Smart switching on to Adebayo, um, that's good enough on the roll to stop them. And if they want to post them up, you can you can scram switch them out of there, or you can double and dig down on the ball and and kind of make it uh, disrupt Bam's kind of progress that way. But uh, that that is certainly a much better option than um, just alley oop dunks. Yeah, how they how were, do you um, hide Kemba? out of that act like get him out of the action because i feel like that was one of the big problems as well as he was the one that was getting switched onto bam and that's why we were seeing those problems sure i mean depending on what the um depending on what the options uh are what the personnel is i mean you can put them on you put them on duncan robinson um that's going to mean that kemba's chasing duncan robinson all over the place um i i just it depends on who the personnel is but I would I would have him on either Robinson or Hero, and if they want to they want to go pick and roll, then fine. If they want to run their you know split action and, and or run handoffs and, and try to get it to Robinson or Hero or whomever's out there against Kemba, then you can still switch that too. Like it, the the whole the whole key to the Celtics defense is it's built on versatility and the ability to switch. So 
rather than have Kemba chasing uh, Robinson all over the place, you switch that action too. So hide hide Kemba on on Robinson. That if if they want to get away, if that baits them into getting away from pick and roll lobs out of Bayou, great. And you switch on the perimeter and and hopefully you can disrupt Robinson's shot and and you know hopefully he doesn't hit half of his three pointers. I mean that is Duncan Robinson for you though he's <laughs> kind of ridiculous. Uh, actually, that reminds me, I have a question for you. I, I think we brought it up a few times, uh, guests. So with guests, Sam and I had a debate a few weeks ago. Uh, if you're looking to sh- pass the ball to a guy in the corner, like a catch and shoot three, who would you rather have? Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, or Duncan Robinson, or like Steph or Duncan <laughs> Robinson? Just catch and shoot in the corner. I'm not talking dribble moves. Just catch and shoot. I know. Um, I mean, after watching Duncan Robinson catch that ball up around his face and just go right up and shoot it, that's that's insane. I mean, the mm-hmm. answer is still Steph Ugh. because <laughs> I mean, <laughs> oh, come on, it's still Steph Curry. What that's about what Clay, I said. Though? What about Clay or Steph? Then I argued Clay over Steph for catch and shoot too. Um, I think in a catch and shoot situation, I would probably go Clay. Yeah. Um. So, so the hierarchy is then um, in a corner, catch and shoot, Clay, Steph, Robinson, um, I, until 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 Duncan Robinson like proves it, like he's yeah, yeah. this season. But like, let's let's have some respect, as you know, as you kids like to say, put some respect on their names. You know, like <laughs> they 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 are they are champions. They mm-hmm. are, they have done it multiple times. They are record setting three point shooters. So. Like Duncan Robinson is awesome, and and those catch and shoots in the corner are, are just phenomenal. And he he runs off the screens like Ray Allen used to, and and you know, um, but yeah, I th- and, and and the reason I go Clay in the corner is because he's taller, yeah, uh, and and just gives him the ability to shoot over the top. And why I, why I think it's even why people can even have the debate is because Robinson's tall, um, and and height in catch and shoot situations matters because you're going to have a guy closing out on you and the, the ability to quickly shoot over the top, like we saw Robinson do in game two, when somebody's closing out and contesting uh, to shoot the way he shot that ball because he's what, six, seven, six, eight, like that's, yeah. that's, that is a, a major, major factor that, that Steph definitely suffers from he, but Steph is so dangerous that a little up fake, a little sidestep, and he's open anyway. And he's just such a ridiculous shooter that it's it's automatic. Speaking My- of up fakes and sidesteps, <laughs> what do you uh, think of Marcus's improvement on his shot creating on the three-point line? And he's actually making a fair amount of his threes. He's really improved significantly. It's a testament to his hard work. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, you see him working on it when whenever I was at practices. I, I would see him working on those exact shots. I mean, that's, that's what you do. You work on the shots you're going to need in the game and, and they, they do that. And Marcus smart has been has busted his ass trying to improve his shooting. And, and that's, that's been part of it. So, um, and that's, that's, that's the NBA now too, like that, you need that shot. You need to be able to up fake, um, get a guy who's closing out too hard to fly by you and then sidestep and shoot the three. Normally, when I was playing, you'd up fake and then drive that. <laughs> um, and but and and how I times still, have changed. 
Right. I still contend that maybe you should drive that, but you know, you look at the numbers and you say, Hey, you put up 10 threes um, and you hit four of them. You're a 40% three point shooter. You've got, you've got 12 points right there versus driving that into the teeth of a defense. Um, you know, you, you're actually reducing your efficiency. Like I, I get the numbers behind it. So yeah, it's, it, it is what it is. That's today's NBA. He's, he's worked really, really hard to do that. So, uh, you know, it's, it's not, it's not the, Oh no, don't do that kind of shot anymore. It's, it's actually exactly. Yeah. It will always be like that for me every single time. I just, I can't. I I feel like I've never even been in that crowd. I just kind of always have had faith. I'm like, if he's taking the shot, like he knows he can make it kind of thing. The only problem (laughs) I've had a shot in recent memory, uh, the only time I've had a problem (laughs) in recent memory with a Marcus shot was the one in game one where Jalen Brown was open under the basket and he shot instead of passing. On the fast break. I had a problem that, last night when he took that mid-range turnaround, step-back fader over a defender. I didn't like that one either. Marcus has been really money, like mid-range uh, paint. I don't know. Every time he gets the ball in there, it seems to go in. What yeah, do you think, the, one, the, the one where he missed Jalen was was bad. And and yeah. I, think, I think there's some residual, like, part of why that frustration boiled over, I think, in the locker room last night. I think that's part of it. Like, I, I think that is symptomatic of something else that's happened this in this series is the Celtics have not been fully aware of what's happening on the court. Their court awareness has slipped a little bit. It goes back to my point about focus and, and mental, uh, the mental aspect of all of this. If you're focused, you know where everybody is on the court. Uh, the Celtics have missed a ton of opportunities throughout these past two series. Um, the, I agree. The Marcus Smart catch and fire from the corner when he had Jalen Brown open directly underneath is an uncharacteristic, I think, loss of awareness from, from Marcus, who is, is probably one of the highest basketball IQ guys out there. Um, so like I'm, I'm all for Marcus taking shots and feeling comfortable. And when he's feeling it, he's going to take a couple more shots, maybe a couple more than you, you want, but, I don't want him to get too shot happy. Um, he still needs to be aware of what the defense is doing and also aware that him making the shots starts to make the defense overreact to him. So him being hot doesn't mean take more shots all the time. Him being hot sometimes means create for others because the defense is overreacting to you. He did that once in the Toronto series. I forget which game it was where he had, he had hit a couple of threes in a row. He had up faked somebody by him. He had a wide open three and he, he passed it. He worked it around. It ended up becoming a layup. Um, that type of stuff needs to happen a little bit more uh, with Marcus. And like you said, he usually does that. Like he's uh, behind Hayward. I mentioned earlier, I would argue he's the best playmaker on the Celtics and uh, he averages some of the most assists. So it's just a matter of, I think, at this point, getting out of their own head and trying to move the ball more, which we talked about a lot. One of the last things I wanted to bring up before we start to wrap up here, uh, we see all these Twitter people uh, coming at Brad Stevens with pitchforks and torches saying that he needs to be uh, fired. Yeah. <laughs> what, do you, what are your thoughts on the fire Brad Stevens? Or just, I mean, do, you put, do you put any blame on him after the games? I mean, I put blame on everybody. This is, yeah. this is, you know, organizational, you know, when, when you get to this point, your flaws are exposed. So sure. There's, 
you know, there's some, uh, there's something on, on Brad, um, his decision to play Cantor in the second half was, you know, I think, I think maybe a little rough. I mean, some of the lineups that he's thrown out there, I mean, he's, he's trying to, I'm sure he's trying to find certain things, but, um, I think he needs to be uh, a little more, I don't know, judicious with some of the lineups. Uh, and, and I think that sometimes he, he could probably use his timeouts a little bit better. Uh, I personally, I'd like to see a little bit more fire. That's my personal thing, but that's not him. That's not who he is. It's never been who he is. Um, and it's probably why it works with his team. Like he's, he's the calming influence. Um, but I, when I was playing, I played for fiery coaches. So I know that that, that has worked, but it's also the NBA. Like, and, and this is the other thing when you talk about like the people on Twitter, and this is, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to say certain things like this because it sounds, it almost sounds arrogant, but a lot of people who watch these games have limited playing experience, limited experience with actual organized basketball. And it's not a knock. It's just their frame of reference is their high school, either high school basketball that they played or high school basketball that their kids play, or college basketball maybe that they would have played, or whatever. And the NBA, I say this not to be an asshole, but I say this just to say the NBA is different, and the coaching styles in the NBA are different than the yelling kind of crazy coach all the time. Very rarely, only in like Greg Popovich, who is just entrenched as the, you know, high exalted leader in, in San Antonio and had, by the way, the right guys who can accept his kind of coaching. Most of these guys are sure passionate, but you, you see them in the locker rooms. They're, they're calm. They're not like in people's faces. They're not yelling and swearing at players all the time um, because teams fluctuate. Players come and go every season. Even within season, uh, every year there's a turnover. There's money involved. You're talking to a player that makes forty million dollars a year. You're, you know, like there there are things that exist in the NBA, influences that exist in the NBA that don't exist in other levels. So when social media allows people to just express their opinions, they're saying Brad should do blah 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 without really having a full frame of reference on how the NBA works. And you know what? That's, that's not exactly, that's not exactly how it goes. You can't just say like, for example, um, you know, Brad should just sit this guy down. No, you're not just going to bench Jason Tatum because he took a bad shot. This isn't high school where you bench a guy because that's a learning experience. You got to trust the guy out there. And then, you know, you say something to him, like, come on, work the ball around. You can say that stuff. And he's supposed to get it because he's an adult man and not a 14 year old kid. So you have to approach this differently. So yes, uh, uh, Brad Stevens has some level of culpability here. The players have a lot more culpability though, to me, because they're on the floor. They're the ones who see it. They're the ones who are supposed to react to it. They know what they're supposed to do. And again, they're adults. They're young. They're 22, they're 23, but they're adults. And they should know at that level they know what their job is and Brad Stevens can call a timeout 
Brad Stevens can sub a guy in and out, and and certainly there's some level of that that that's his responsibility. But to me, most of it is, hey, you're on the floor, you know what's supposed to be going on, do it. Yeah, and what you said about these screaming and yelling coaches that we see a lot in college and high school not really existing in the NBA, I would argue that the few that do don't really don't really last long where they are. Like my first thought was Tom Thibodeau, like that guy is screaming and very passionate obviously about what he does and I'm not saying he's not a good coach. I'm just saying that he is one of those guys that will get up all in the face of his players and will do that type of stuff and from what we've seen so far working with Jimmy Butler twice ironically it's not really gone his way so guys like Greg Popovich and Brad Stevens who are quieter tend to last longer because I can't remember who we were talking to when we talked about it but we had a similar conversation to this it's hard to yell and bench a guy who's making most likely like five or six times your salary you can't exactly talk to him the same way you talk to like you said a teenager or a college player um Sam, is there anything else you wanted to bring up before we start to wrap this all up? Sam? I I guess not. But yeah, outside of all the coaching drama we talked about, and Kemba had a good game, which I guess is a good thing, and the locker room antics, which I would argue can be spun into a positive. uh, Not much else I think there is to discuss after game two. Uh, Thank you so much, John, for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, is there anything you wanted to say? I know you got a book out that you've been promoting that looks really interesting. Yeah. Anything you want to say before we wrap this up? Yeah, I mean, if people want to pre-order my book, Celtics, uh, Boston Celtics All-Time All-Stars is available wherever books are sold for pre-order. It's dropping in December. So go go buy that. Go buy my book. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Everyone go check John out. Uh, he can be found on Twitter at RedsArmy underscore John, correct? That's where I said it? Is that That's right? correct. That's correct. Make sure to read all his articles at Mass Live. And other than that, uh, we'll let you go here, John. Really appreciate it. Once again, uh, always fun having you on the show. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Have a good one. All right, so we fixed my mic. Uh, thanks again to John for coming on. Uh, you can follow him at John Corellis on Twitter. You can listen to his oh, – I'm sorry, not at John Corellis, at Red's Army John. Silly me. Um you can listen to Locked On Celtics podcast that he does, read his work, pre-order his book. Uh, I'm at Bannertown Sam. Hopefully the Celtics get their shit together for Saturday night. Uh, thanks for listening to us today. Bye.